Today, I want to use the image. We've been doing this image teaching where we want you to have an image when you walk out of here. Last week, we had an image, and it was what? Anybody? We made handmade peacemakers, and that was the image. And then the week before, we had a Monopoly game, and the week before, there was a big bath up here, and we were bathing. The point is, is so that you can understand and segment messages. But today's image is this. It's the image of the cross, and, and, th and this is what the cross looks like. The image of just a man, the hop of the cross, body, and then, the, and then the arms. That'll be something that we use. But here's what Christians have made the cross to be. Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that beautiful to think about the scenery and just how everything is? And there's that white sachet around it. It's just really peaceful. But the truth is, that's not the image that the Father wants you to remember. That's what Christians have made it. We've made it weak. We've made it insignificant. And all we want as Christians is to make the cross something very simple and not hard. But the truth is, and if you haven't seen this picture, you might want to turn your head. This is the real image that the Father wants you to realize. Because he came, sent his son, broke his body, and dripped blood so that you and I can be bought have freedom, live in forgiveness, and live in eternal life. This is the image of the cross. And today in 2017, in the last 20, 50, 100 years, we've made the image of the cross so minimized. And nothing like that really happened. Let's put something white and look really cool and make it a painting. Trust me, in Israel, where they did the place in Jesus, it's chaotic, it's terrible, it's a miserable place, and it's not about joy. But what happened after that is true joy. The image of the cross is something that I want to make sure you walk out of here. At the end of the message, we're going to ask people to draw closer to the cross. Come to the Father and, and know him for who he truly is. We're going to baptize someone today. It's going to be a very powerful day. So if you're, uh, if you're able and willing, will you just stand? And if you can't, just open up your hearts and let's just get ready for God. Excited, huh? So our memory verse comes in Matthew 5, uh, 1 and 2, and we're doing the Sermon on the Mount. We have this picture. Remind yourself, this is where we're at. This is actually a physical picture in, in Israel. Right above there is a church, and, it, and it's a church called Mount Beatitudes. It's got beautiful uh, um, lyrics in there, and we can sing, and the, 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 the acoustics in there is amazing. But as we listen today about what Jesus wants to talk about, and he's going to communicate to us about forgiveness, put yourself in, your, in the shoes and listen to what he's saying to his disciples. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 1 and 2. He says, now Jesus saw the crowd like this. He went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach. And he said, last week, we said, blessed are those who are, are peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The week before we are, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will, be, uh, they will have the heaven of God. They will be a part of heaven. Today, we're going to go to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to sit in this place, and we're going to read about what Jesus wants to communicate. And all of a sudden, in 6, the beginning of 6, he wants to talk about prayer. And he says, and when you pray, don't be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on streets seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they will, they will have received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go into the room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I want to stop right there. We don't need to pray and show people how powerful our prayers are. It says, go into your room, go into a quiet place. I pray in my car a lot. Go into your own personal war room, your prayer room, and go to a father who's unseen and ask him. And it says, if you do that, he will give you the rewards of your heart. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like that guy Jeff is doing right now. For when they... When they will, uh, for they will think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need when you ask him. Basically this, when you're praying, get to the bottom line. Lift him up, tell him what you need, thank him, and just expect God to do something. And then he says, this is how you should pray, and he gives us a template of how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And now I want to get to the scripture. This is the one that God wants us to speak on today. And he's going to challenge you. Are we going to live a hypocritical life or are we going to live a life for Christ? Here's what it says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others in their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Today I want to experience that. I want to feel that. I want to make this part of who we are. I want the Bible to speak. I want Jesus to minister. I want us to be open so that we can have a revelation, that we can be transformed by renewing our mind, and that our salvation experience, and there will be a sanctificational process that will happen inside of us. So you just close your eyes and, your, and open up your heart, maybe differently than you've ever done today. And let's God just in that deep, dark hurt. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. Lord, we come to hear your voice. Shout at us, whisper in our heart. Let us hear an audible, direct word from you, Lord. Transform us, renew our mind, renew our heart, and let us walk away from this world. Lord, as we talk about the cross and the sanctifying act of the cross, will you build in us a better, a stronger, or more prolific salvation experience so that we can all live closer to you? Father, this day is our offering to you. We give you this Father's Day in 2017 because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So listen, when we go to the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of times we think of this message and these words in here that Jesus is writing about as an evangelistic tool. And the truth is, it's not. If you look at the beginning, it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And then as soon as he went up there, a bunch of disciples came up. That A disciple means that someone that already has faith and beliefs. A lot of times we believe that everything Jesus did was to bring uh, people into, uh, into the kingdom, but a lot of times he wants to teach his disciples. And today we're going to probably hear a verse that you've heard over and over, and if it's something that keeps popping up, it maybe it's something that God wants to speak to you about. And like I said, at the end of, this, the, end of the message, we're going to get to this story that's just wrenching. It's just unbelievable. And as we get to the beginning of it and think about Jesus 
and thinking about what he did upon the cross, that's heart-wrenching as well. Don't minimize what the cross is. My buddy Eric would say, is the cross enough for you? A lot of times we get into our life and we get into our problems and we sit, or, and we sit in our misery and our frustration and we ask ourselves, is the cross enough? A lot of times the answer is, if we're really honest, it's not enough because we don't utilize it and we don't make it part of who we are. You know, when I was studying to become a pastor at Crossroads, I remember um, going into this Bible class, and I remember this is the image that I, I never forget. And last night, I spent about 40 hours making this graphic, so be excited about that. Um, thank you. Thank you. You guys can clap. That's pretty good. But this, this thing gripped me when I learned it a long time ago. There's this eternal forgiveness, and it's this big circle that once you have Jesus, you're in this eternal forgiveness. But inside it, there's a relational forgiveness. Here's the definition. There are two types of, uh, of forgiveness that we need to understand as Christians. Here's, here they are. The forgiveness that occurs, the large red one, is at the moment of salvation. And it relates to our eternal forgiveness. And we're grateful for that. There, there, this is what we're trying to get to. Is to our eternal forgiveness. Once we've pierced that, then we have a different type of forgiveness. The second one is the forgiveness that occurs in our daily life that relates to our relational forgiveness. That's our fellowship with God. Once we receive God, the whole idea is that we want to have fellowship with God. If you're in Christ and you're saying you're a believer and you're calling yourself a Christian, a little image of Christ, you think you should have fellowship with God. If not, then there's no reason for you really to be at church and believing because you're not trying to work on your fellowship. It's the same with having fellowship with men and women and children. We want to have um, fellowship with them. I want to give you an illustration. I have three beautiful daughters, and I want to I share this to kind of give you the idea of, uh, of eternal forgiveness and, and um, relational forgiveness or fellowship forgiveness. I have a daughter, and she's going to be my daughter from, from conception till the end of her life. She'll be there in heaven with me, and she's going to be there no matter how much of an idiot or how amazing a father I am. She's always going to be my daughter. No matter what happens, if I run and, and move to Belize or if I stay in Camarillo and raise her and be her father that's there with her every step of the way, no matter what, she will always be my daughter. Can't take that away. But listen, in first service, I said it this way. If my daughter creates an offense against me and comes and asks for forgiveness and I accept her confession, I brought her back in and our fellowship is corrected. But this week, me and my daughter were driving back from Pismo and she was accepting my forgiveness to her. I was asking for forgiveness of what I've done in her life. And it was a powerful moment because we were driving and crying and it was reversed. No matter what, when there is forgiveness relationally, the relationship grows. It's probably one of the strongest moments that I've had in my life. I've been waiting for 17 years for it to happen. And it was a powerful experience. And that's what forgiveness does. It allows you to become complete and allows you to become the son of the most high God. Even as females, you want to have this son of the most high God because in that you will experience something that you've never experienced before. That's what happens in eternal forgiveness and relational forgiveness. You have this overarching one 
and then you have this daily one. And that's what Jesus is trying to speak to us when he says, forgive others when they sin against you, and your heavenly Father will forgive you. He wants us to understand there's another forgiveness, and it's a relational one. But if you don't forgive, you're basically acting like a hypocrite. Now, in this forgiveness situation, there's requirements. And so I want to spend the next 10 minutes talking to you a little bit about just this over, the overall, overall idea of forgiveness so that it makes sense to you. I was doing some marriage counseling on Monday, and they didn't really understand the forgiveness and why there was blood involved and the sacrifice. So I thought it would make sense to explain it a little bit. Some of you have heard this, but the point is God's trying to speak to this into your heart again. Here's the requirements of forgiveness. God hates sin, and there's a high price for forgiveness, the high price of blood for forgiveness. That's what it says. And the Bible tells us that's why we know. And so here's the first requirement of forgiveness. There needs to be a sacrifice. If you are a homeworker, Yvette, if you're going to do some homework, I called her out. She's like, what? What did I do? If you want to read about Hebrews 11, uh, 9, 11 through 23, you'll see all this about the work of the blood and what the importance of the Bible says. But at the end of, of, of this topic, in Hebrews 9, 22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. If you believe that you want to have forgiveness and you re receive forgiveness from God, it's a miracle because of the shedding of the blood that happened on that cross. It's a miracle Forgiveness is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, miracles because of the blood on the cross. His broken body, his blood dripping down, and it's truly a miracle. And there, there's a requirement so that we can have forgiveness. Blood represents life. In our life, all mammals have blood. And the requirement in the spiritual laws in the universe are for you to be forgiven, there needs to be the shedding of blood. That's the law. It's not that God's a bloodthirsty God and he wants all kinds of blood on the altar. That's not the case. Sin requires blood and so does forgiveness. In the Old Testament, we would bring up unblemished lambs at the altar and they would slaughter them and that would be enough for them to walk another year so that they can be whole. But Jesus came into the world of virgin birth and walked a life with no sin walked this life as a pure lamb, unblemished, and went to the cross to die so that we can receive a ransom paid for our life and we can receive our sins washed away and ultimately be forgiven. Peter writes this in his book, 1 Peter. He says, For Christ died for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us closer to God. The cross connects mankind, you and me, to Christ. There needs to be a sacrifice, and that's what Peter writes. The apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom on the cross. He purchased our freedom from, with his blood and forgave our sins. What we see up here is not this very cute image of the cross. It's the, 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 the blood work of a covenant that needs to be made from mankind. That's what we see here. And today, and if you have a cross on, I'm not mocking you. I'm saying today we put this cross on, and it's beautiful and gold, and 
my wife was saying somebody was selling uh, something at Zales for like $2,000. This is an image. If This is our electric chair. This is the most heinous way to die back in the day. And through the work of Christ, he's made it the most amazing, most hopeful image of all time. But it's nothing to take lightly. The requirements for our sin and forgiveness and for a life bought in freedom is blood and a sacrifice. And thank be to God that he gave us his kindness and grace so that we can have freedom in that. The second part is confession of sin. I hate confessing. I hate saying I'm sorry. I'm the worst at it. Don't shake your head. My girls are all going, yep, the worst. But when we admit our sins, and I do to my girls and to people in this room, I did one right before service to a friend of mine, we get in the right relationship, and when we do it with God, he restores us wholly. He brings us into the threshold and restores us wholly so that we can be made right. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. We have a faithful God, and even when we walk away and, and live in anger and frustration and unforgiveness, he is faithful. Even when we have an attitude of ungratefulness and unforgiving, he is faithful. And so Jesus is communicating to us today that we need to have this attitude of forgiveness. In the 12 steps of recovery, step 10 says, when you're wrong, promptly admit it. That step helps us become right with people and God. As soon as there's a wrong and you're willing to make it, you need to promptly admit it. That's what Jesus is kind of communicating. And in the verse in that step, it's, this is the step that they, uh, step 10's verse, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus wants to purify you every day of your life. That doesn't mean that you can make a ton of mistakes and just say you're sorry. It's saying he wants to clean you up and so that you will limit your mistakes, you will eliminate your sin, and you will work, walk and work closely with Christ. We need to have sacrifice. We need to have a confession. We need to have repentance. The definition of repentance says this, change of mind that results in a change of action. I'm walking this way for 32 years, and then one day God hits me, and all of a sudden I change my mind and I change my action. It's 180 degrees opposite. That's what repentance is. I'm no longer going to live like that. If I've hurt someone, I'm going to go say, I'm sorry, I've hurt you. Forgive me. Let me become part of a, a, a better part of your life, not this one that holds grudges and frustrations. Repentance changes us and turns us from a sin. Jeremiah writes this powerful, uh, um, these powerful words in Jeremiah 19a. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you so that you may serve me. The Lord wants all of us to be in service to him, giving a testimony to this world. And if you're willing to repent and confess and believe in that sacrifice, he wants to restore you so that you can serve him because he's done great work in your life. So we need to have repentance, confession, and, and sacrifice, and that gives us this concept of forgiveness. Forgiveness you can't do on your own. What, what we want in this world is retribution, we want revenge. We want justice. God wants something completely different. 
Let's get back to Matthew. Not only does forgiveness come between us and God, unforgiveness come between us and God, it also breaks our relationship with others. Like I was telling you about my daughter and us driving back from Pismo. We've had a great relationship, but there's been some stuff that's created to divide. And someone needs to come up and say, forgive me. And the other one needs to respond, I do. And then you cry it out and you hug it out and you fist bump and then we go get a steak. And that's how you do it. True? Yeah, that's true. Here's what it says. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you're willing to forgive and not live a hypocritical life that says the heavenly Father will forgive you. This is not an eternal forgiveness. This is something different. That's why we need to clarify the two types of forgiveness. This is a different type of forgiveness. This is, there is tension in the gospel. Have you ever read and you're like, wow, this kind of makes me feel weird, frustrated, almost angry when you read it? It's like, ah, what is this? It's called tension. The, 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 the gospel through the Holy Spirit is creating tension in our life. There should be some sort of tension here. What is Jesus trying to communicate? If you don't forgive men and their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. What does that even mean and how does that relate to me? And how is that going to be part of my life as I walk out of here on Father's Day? Well, let's go through this. When you get married, they read this, most, most people have this, this place read. It's 1 Corinthians 13, and it's the love chapter. And here's what it says in, in verse 5. Real love keeps no records of wrong. Well, that's not true. Uh, it's Father's Day, so I can do this. My wife, uh, I've been keeping her records of wrong for years now, so these are all of her wrongs. So I guess I missed that point. I'm just kidding. These are my notes. Real love keeps no records of wrongs. And what happens is most of us can look at our life and go, I can think of 20 people who have wronged me. So maybe you don't have real love in your heart. Real love keeps no records of wrong. I've been reading Proverbs for the last five months, six months now, and every morning there's been great wisdom and truth. And here's what it says in Proverbs 17, 9. It says, a real friend forgives. A real friend forgives. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to not worry about your wife and your husband or your kids. A real friend forgives. God wants us to have this spirit of forgiveness always on our lips. At the the end of Ephesians 4, the apostle Paul writes and goes, here's the attitude of what I want you to have in your daily life in this world. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. God sent a son into this world, basically sent himself in human form so that you and I can have a right relationship with him. But not only that, that we can live in this spirit of forgiveness, be forgiven eternally, but also live in forgiveness in our life. We make a lot of mistakes in this world. Man, women, and children, we make a lot of mistakes. And all we have is the blood of Christ to really wash us so that we can live in that forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6 does not teach us about an eternal forgiveness. He's teaching about a daily forgiveness, something that will help us build our relationship with God because when we live in unforgiveness, our relationship is damaged. When we live in unforgiveness, our relationship is damaged. There's a need for daily forgiveness. Do you realize that if there was no Jesus in this world and God was in this room, he could be around none of us? I was going to say none of you, but really include myself. (laughs) 
probably me first and then maybe you guys. He couldn't be around none of us because he thinks sin is ugly, it's detestable. He looks at us like it says filthy rags. And if you look at that a little deeper, it's not a good rag. He says we are filthy, we are wretched, and we even then should be overwhelmed because he still loves us because of what he has done on the cross and how he has worked on the cross. Unconfessed sin affects me and God, and it affects me and you. Even if it's not an unconfessed sin against you, it creates a dynamic in my heart that's wrong and not whole and not complete. In Isaiah 59, it talks about why God can get disconnected from us. Isaiah 59, if you read that chapter, it's about repentance and, and, and the blood and the redemption of, of, of what sin needs. And at the beginning of Isaiah 59, this is a powerful verse. It says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor his ear too deaf to hear you. It's your sin that has cut you off from God. Because of your sin, he has turned away and is not listening anymore. A lot of times we're like, my prayers aren't answered. I've been praying for years or I've been serving and doing all these things for years. And God's saying, it's about your unforgiving heart that I really can't answer you. Because it's kind of despicable. You're stuck in your old way and you're stuck at a hurt from five years ago or 50 years ago and you're not letting it go. And he says, I need you to let that go so that I can open the floodgates of heaven and pour out into your life. Jesus is communicating. Listen to what my father wants. I'm here to show you my father's heart. Receive the eternal forgiveness, but as a disciple, as a person that calls himself Christians, a little image of Christ, I need you to have daily forgiveness. Jesus gives us this amazing analogy in the Bible. He's talking about this daily forgiveness and how it restores us to fellowship. Our sin is like a tarnish or a patina. Anybody know what patina is? Nowadays on these road shows and all these cool shows that we watch, the antique shows, this patina is cool. It didn't used to be cool, but now it's cool. And it's this kind of tarnish or this stuff that goes over metal and, and antiques and stuff. And it's got just the right amount of patina. It could be worth gazillions amounts of money, right? But here's the thing, if it's, if it's too much, if it's, if it's too rotted out or it's got too much, it's not worth anything. That's the interesting thing. God is saying, I want to clear off all the tarnish. I want to take all the patina off so that you can be close and connected, so that you can be the, the best that you can possibly be. He says, there's buildup in your life. And what I want to do is just make you whole and connect with God correctly. I want to take away the distance between where you and God are with the spirit of forgiveness so that you guys can be connected and whole. And you got to look at your life and go, where do I need to bring forgiveness? Even to people that aren't worthy of forgiveness. Jesus tells us this story in the Bible, and it's a really cool image. And he really is trying to explain, I believe, uh, this verse in uh, Sermon on the Mount. John chapter 13, Jesus gets on his hands and knees and basically strips down to his underwear and he starts washing the feet of his disciples. He gets down and he just starts washing and this is disgusting. You know, we have shoes on and it's disgusting. They had sandals and he's washing their feet and he comes to Peter and we all know the story if you've been in church for a while. Peter says, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. You're not touching these nasty things. 
And he was embarrassed. He's like, I'm not going to let you wash me. And Jesus says, if you don't wash me, you're not going to receive this fellowship that I have with you. And then Peter says, okay, well then wash my whole body. I want all of it. Wash me clean. And he says, you don't need that. All you need to do is let me wash your feet and wash the world off your feet. Because you've been walking in the world and that world is creating distance between me and you. And I want to wash your feet. And, so, and I want you to be connected and whole with me. He's using this to tell us that we need this daily cleansing. The world is going to get between me and God, and I've got to wash the patina off. I've got to wash the tarnish off. I've got to come and experience the blood and believe that the cross is enough. And in that, I can be right and whole and complete with God. Here's the second part that I think Jesus is trying to communicate to us. This is probably the more challenging, convicting, and probably the most hypocritical for many of us. And Jesus is trying to explain in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, when he says, if you don't forgive others, you're not going to be forgiven. He's basically saying to you and I, my cross is not enough. My forgiveness isn't enough. My love for you is not enough that you would want to forgive other people. How important am I to you if you can't forgive other people? Anyone who harbors unforgiveness of, of others truly hasn't experienced God's forgiveness. And that's a harsh statement. Listen, I know people in this room have been hurt deeply by men and women, mothers and fathers. I understand it. This week I was with a girl and her nephew got shot, died. And they asked me to be there as we pulled the plug on this person's life. And God said, I want you to go in there and preach to them forgiveness. My first response was, why me? Is there anybody else in this county that could do that? It's kind of selfish. We went in there and we're pulling the plug and the guy's passing away. And all God is telling him, you got to forgive the guy that shot this man. It didn't go over well. But that doesn't mean it's not true. Just because it's not what you want doesn't mean it's not true. And that's what Jesus is saying. Think of all the sin that you have. I'm thinking about all of my sin and I've been filling, I've been filling landfills in Southern California and Anaheim. I got about a 50-acre landfill of sin out there. I got some in the Bay Area and I'm filling a small plot in Camarillo. He's been forgiving a ton of my sin. And I can't forgive someone who's offended me, who's hurt me. He wants us to live in forgiveness. God has forgiven you. How can you refuse to forgive even if there's been a large offense? And I get it, it's hard. But it doesn't mean it's not right. What was on the cross, that image on the cross, that was not easy. No man would ever do what he did. He walked up there knowing exactly what was going to happen and still went through with it. I want to tell you this story that really rocked me last year. I went to a marriage conference and I got to speak a little bit. Me and Jeremy and my wife went. And after, uh, before lunch, they separated all men into one room and all women in the other room. And this guy came in. I'm just going to call him Glenn. He's, he's from this area and I don't want to kind of he should be sharing his story if, 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 if I was going to give him his name. Anyways, 
he comes into the room and he starts telling a story about him and his wife. And this is a marriage conference. So we're like, yeah, that makes sense. And he starts telling us about 20 years ago, him and his wife got into an argument. And it wasn't anything about uh, adultery or pornography. It wasn't anything detrimental like he hurt the kids or anything. It was like she spent too much money at the store and they were broke. And he got angry and a couple nights later he would start drinking and they got angry. And it was just simple sin. They didn't get in a fight. There wasn't no domestic violence. But that sin caused another sin and it started to create a small divide. And he says it just got bigger and bigger. Every year, they got farther and farther apart. They're raising kids, they're coaching basketball, and they're doing brownies at their house. But in, inside their home, there was a huge divide. Mom on one side, dad on the other, and they don't talk. Yeah, they say, I'll pick them up, and I'll take them, and we're getting two cheeseburgers, but they're not communicating in a loving relationship. So Glenn is telling this, this story, and he's like, it's amazing how far we got apart. And then... He tells us the story of kind of how it concluded. He said, we always had this New Year's Eve party at our house, and we always invited a bunch of people to come to our house. And this one New Year's Eve, he said, some missionaries were in Ventura County, and they called up, and they said, hey, Glenn, can we come to your party tonight? We know that everybody would be there. We'd love to be there. And he said, sure, please come. And as they're coming, everybody's celebrating at 12 o'clock midnight, you go find the cutest person in the room and you kiss him I can't really look for my wife but uh, and everybody's celebrating New Year's Eve and these missionaries could see these couples are at the farthest part and they're trying to hide from each other and after all the festivities kind of died down they said can we pray for you as a marriage we feel like God wants us to pray for your marriage so they brought them together and they started praying and in the middle of the prayer the guy looks up and says when's the last time you guys have asked for forgiveness for each other and they both started to cry, and he goes, it's been maybe 15 years. 15 years since they've said, will you forgive me, honey? Will you forgive me, honey? And all of a sudden, he says, tell her you forgive her. And he goes, I forgive you. And she looked at him, and she's bawling. She's like, I'm sorry, I don't even know, but I forgive you, but I forget what this is all about. It's been so long. We've been so far apart. And the next day, they were so excited their life wasn't transformed and changed, but they were so excited because they felt like they had this new lease on life and they were going to spend the next weeks communicating and talking and reigniting and, and dating each other. And they did. And it was great. It wasn't perfect, but it was getting good. And then she went to the doctors, found out she had stage four cancer. And all that stopped. And they focused on keeping her alive Six, six or eight months later, she died. And this guy is telling us this story, and he's saying, men, don't let another day of unforgiveness live in your life. I wish I could go home to my wife and be with her. All of you are going to walk out and be with your wife instantly. Don't let another day of unforgiveness go. I would give anything to have her for another day, for another week, for another year. 15 years of unforgiveness, I've missed out on my beautiful wife. Glenn would say if he was here, please forgive your spouse, your kids, your mother, your father. Forgive them because you don't know when you're going to lose them. Abe Lincoln says this. 
I've always found mercy bears richer fruit than strict justice. Everybody that's offended you, everybody that's hurt you, everybody in this room deserves strict justice that's offended you and hurt you mentally, physically, sexually, emotionally. They all deserve strict justice, but leave that to God. Leave that to God and give it up for the cross because in that cross you are forgiven and you have the ability to forgive other people. Not beyond your own will, but for the will of God. Do you believe that today? Let's walk out of here with a spirit and an attitude and a heart for forgiveness. Let's make peace even though those knuckleheads don't deserve peace. You're a big enough Christian to make peace in your heart. Will you just bow your heads and let's pray? Father, I pray that you will let your spirit move right now. That you will take hearts that are so broken and so angry and so shut off. That you will open them up and that you will allow forgiveness to creep in there and radically change that person's life. I pray that they will stand up and sing and shout for glory that you have allowed them to open up and start forgiving the biggest hurts of their life so that they can live in a relationship with you and they can live in whole and peace in this world. Lord, give us your wholeness. Thank you for what you've done on the cross. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to be a part of this mercy, uh, this great mercy and grace, say a prayer of salvation. Let him into your heart. Let him bring that forgiveness so that you can be connected with him for now and through eternity. Repeat this after me if that's you. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior forever. Holy Spirit, open my heart and let me live for you and in your glory. Amen.